Second Corinthians chapter six, verses one through ten. We are making our way through this, actually through the whole book. We will pray and pick up verse one and read the word of God. Father, thank you that you are a firm foundation and that it is your word that lights our path. Help us, Father. Help us to have ears to hear. Father, help us to have eyes to see. And Father, when I think about our dear brother Paul and the path that he walked, may we with eagerness be willing to follow, pressing on to the upward calling of Jesus Christ. Father, as we look at ministry, And what it is, Father, I beg you that you help each of us this day to understand the amazement of the privilege of being children of the Most High God. Father, may we never, ever become complacent. Father, may we never, ever take it for granted. And Father, may the glory of the risen King been seen in each of us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. To your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause of offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in much affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. This is an amazing text because, well, multiple reasons. If you look at it in chapter uh, 6, verse 1, there's a conjunction. So he's tying into chapter 5. I know that it gets difficult for us when somebody puts a great big number six on there and all of a sudden it's got to be something else. The truth of the matter is still all laid together. When we come rolling through Second Corinthians, you understand that you're looking at ministry and what you're in is the pivotal part of it. This is the part that says, this is what it's all about. You and I have been given through Jesus Christ by the grace of God a ministry of reconciliation. You are, we are begging and we are pleading and we are beseeching. We are exerting people be reconciled to God. And, and you would think, and I mean, if you think about that for a second, you ask a person, well, do you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? Okay. Is that really that complicated? All right. But the problem is, is that when you confront the individual living in darkness, 
and you roll truth to them, you're going to run into a paradox that you did not know existed. And that's why I call this section the joy and sorrow of ministry. I am begging, exhorting, and beseeching people be reconciled to God. I am confronting sin. I am confronting error. I am confronting false salvation. And I am confronting false sanctification. And when you do that, you get one of two responses. But it's been that way all along. They either love you, adore you, or they hate and despise you. Let me make sure you understand that. There is no Switzerland in the gospel. There's no neutral. We we like to think there is. Well, I'm going to think about it. You confront sin, they're not going to think about it. They're not going to think about it. So when the Apostle Paul shares with us out of chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, now, if you're saved, that is your responsibility. It is not the pastor's responsibility, the evangelist's responsibility, the church elder's responsibility, the deacon's responsibility. If you are a Christian, that is your passion in life. And if it's not, you should go back to step one. Are you saved? And I I get into more trouble for that. Well, how dare you say that, that I'm not saved? If that ain't your passion, you're not. I didn't say it. Paul wrote it down under the power of the Holy Spirit that you are an ambassador. You are on behalf of God begging men and women to be reconciled to God. If you're not doing that, you have a very serious problem. Verse 1, he says, working together with him. Okay, the, if you look in your Bible, with him in italics means that it's been added by the translation. Okay, but if you think about it, you put an and at the beginning of it. That's a conjunction that ties it back to what? The end of chapter 5. The end of chapter 5, I just read it to you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ through God. Okay? So when you add with Him in verse 1, we are working together with He who has called us. He who has set us aside. He who has placed you and I at this specific time. It's a privilege. I was reading Linsky and Linsky's comment was God of creation stooped down to work with us. Unquote. And, and you know, there's a part of me that says, why? But the other part of me says, because it was his good pleasure. The psalmist tells us that the desert rose blooms. No man will ever see and it is only for the good pleasure of God. And you just sit there and go, wow. Wow. Did you guys see the the new pictures from Mars? 
they had a whole series of pictures. They got one from this thing. It's one of the, uh, I don't know, orbiters. Took a picture of the thing as it's disconnected, and you can see the little parachute opening, and it's getting ready to drop it. You see one where the dust is blowing up, where this thing is, little jet engines is lowering this nuclear dune buggy down on the... That's, I'm not a scientist. I'm like, well, I wish I had one of those. But anyway, and they dropped this... SUV down on the planet and then it takes pictures. It's, it's got an arm and it reached back and took a picture of itself. They call it the self-portrait of a robot. But anyway, um, and it's, then you can just look around and I look at it and, and I'm looking there at the surface of Mars saying, God is cool. <laughs> look what he did. And, uh, and leave it to humanity what? We're littering there too. <laughs> I think about the privilege of working with he who spoke Mars into existence. That's amazing. Just the first half of verse 1. Then second half of verse 1 and verse 2, we looked at this last week. We urge you, we beseech you, we beg you, not receive the grace of God in vain. For he has said, this is the acceptable time. I listen to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. And behold, now is the day, is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of your salvation. And he quotes Isaiah. And, and, I, and I think about this because, because we have the privilege of working with God, there has to be a passion. There has to be. If there isn't a passion, then who are you working with? Who are you working with? See, the heart of the minister is going to show up. All right? And when I mean minister, I'm talking about the servant of God. I'm not talking about a paid professional. The church today has bought in that if I can get enough of you to sit out there, I'll hire some ministers. Well, the truth of the matter is, i got a whole room full of ministers. And the question that I have to ask you is, if you think truly about the privilege of who you're working with, then how can I not see the passion? I'm only working with God. Who are you working with? I, that, I mean, did you, we, we picked a, a vice presidential candidate. And it's just news, 24-hour day. We have a new vice presidential candidate. I work with God. I don't care who your candidate is. I mean, I'm only working with him. The kingdom advances, the work of God advances with the truth of God. And anytime there's an error in the salvation or an error in sanctification, you have corrupted truth. Those are my two crucial issues. Those are the two that the attack of the enemy has been after all along. I'll take you back. A text that a lot of people don't like to think about, but it's in there. You have to read it. Chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates, the city, she utters her sayings. How long, old naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Have you ever noticed that? 
Humanity loves being simple-minded. And then we like to confuse it to make you think we're intelligent. And yet it's simplicity. It's useless. It's naivete. The scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and the fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention and you neglected all of my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. Then when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. There's a time when the grace of God stops. Brothers and sisters, I have no idea when it is. I don't know what it is. The Holy Spirit was upon a man named Samson. Nothing could touch him. He had strength beyond understanding. And yet the Holy Spirit left him and he didn't know it. And was taken prisoner and blinded by the Philistines. Most people, if you ask them, how did Samson lose his strength? What did they say? His hair was cut. You know what it had? It's nothing to do with it. Read your text. The text says the Spirit left him. And when the Spirit left him, guess what? Just a long-haired dude who got a haircut and blinded. Spirit came upon him and pushed over the after being a prisoner. That's tragic. Absolutely tragic. And yet nobody pays attention to it. Woe to you, Bethsaida! Woe to you, Corzin! Would the miracles been done to you in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. You know what the word woe means? It's not bummer. It's cursed. If the Lord God says, cursed are you, you know what that means? Grace have blessed the building. And you know what? I've been there. You can still see the ruins and the foundations of all those cities. And grace has left the building. Okay, when does that happen? I don't know. But the time of salvation is now. I am there now to help you. And yet, he cries in the streets and the people ignore him. So the minister is the most hated and the most loved. Some here, they believe, they repent. When they do, they love the message and they love the messenger. Some here, and yet they cherish sin. They reject. And you know what? When they reject, they really don't care much about the minister or the messenger, right? Not only that... I've been in church long enough, they'll get a couple of people together and say, you know, I think he's, uh, hmm, how can he be a pastor and have a beard? 
I've had people that says, how can the pastor ride a motorcycle? And then I had the best one. I can't believe he rides a motorcycle and no helmet. What's he teaching us? He wants to go to heaven. <laughs> but I've had him do that. And these, now listen, I'm not talking about somebody who's had an acquaintance. I'm talking about people who've been a part of this congregation at different times. And I'm sitting there going, really? Well, you'll know it's me when all the saints of God come riding out with their stallions back to the judgment of the earth and I'm on a Harley. God has saved just for him. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? There's a passion for the ministry of reconciliation. But understand, with that passion, people attack. You start attacking a person's belief in salvation that's in error, you will get a response. You start dealing with a person's wrong views of sanctification, you will get a response. Sometimes they will adore and cherish you. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they won't. Paul told young Timothy, I want you to preach the word. In season, out of season. You know, and I've, I've read some theologians, and you should hear some of the stuff they write about that. It's really amazing to me. But the truth of the matter is, all he's saying is, preach the word all the time. <laughs> I mean, you're either in season, you're out of season. That's what, it, you know, so it's, it's, it's really kind of cool if you think about it. God says, I got one thing I want you to do. I got one tool that I want you to use. Therefore, you won't be confused and you'll know exactly what you're supposed to be doing all the time. Preach the word. When? All the time. Wow, cool. I like that idea. The more noble the minister, the more honorable the minister, the greater the contrast will be. Do you understand that? Because you will stir up more than you ever dreamed that was even out there. And what, was it, what is amazing is, even as I read this letter, I'm thinking about a church that's making horrific accusations to the Apostle Paul. Horrific things they're saying about him. And yet, that church doesn't exist without Paul. This is not like these are a bunch of strangers. These are people that for two years he lived with and ministered with, went from house to house daily teaching. And now the teachers of error have slid in behind him because he's been gone for 18 months. And they get people by the ear who are still flirting with their sin. And those are the ones who are easier to deceive. And as they deceive them, they say, well, well Paul is wrong about this. Or Paul is wrong about that. Or do you know what I know about Paul? I heard that. And, and you hit, sit and you listen to this stuff. And you sit there and you go, how can that be? And I'm sitting there going, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And the greater your impact for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the greater that contrast will be. The, the offense, the paradox. 
Okay, so you've got the privilege of who it is you're working with. You've got the passion knowing that now is the time of salvation. And he is here to help. Which brings me to verses 3 through 7. We will not get through this today. I know. Surprise. All right. Verse 3. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Okay, stop right there in much endurance. Okay, I'm going to, that's the framework I want to work in right now. And we won't get through both of those. Okay. There is a power that we ministers are dealing with. Okay, there's a positive and there's a negative. Those who reject the grace of God. Remember what he said. Okay, that to that we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, Paul, we ministers want to be certain um, that we don't put a stumbling block in the way. This should be a concern of us, of each of us. Okay, now listen. One of the things I want you to to, to understand, all right, it's like, um, how can I have a beard? Okay, now there's people who would actually use that as a reason to reject. Okay, now, did I just roll a stumbling block out? Because I wasn't willing to shave? I've just caused that person to stumble? There are some who would accuse me of it. You know, that person might have come to salvation if you'd have been willing to shave. If you'd have seen me with sharp things, you would be thankful I don't shave. Okay, but I do want to give you a heads up because this is fascinating because when I think about people trying to find, um, I I think I shared with you I was doing a, a light job changing out fluorescent lights. We're, we're big into green energy now. Uh, so I had some light fixtures to change down here at a liquor store. Okay, I'd, I'd bid the job. The guy had asked me if I'd do it. And I said, yeah, I told him here's what my price would be and all the rest of it. So I went down, I changed out these light fixtures. I don't know, about half a dozen light fixtures. Somebody saw me come out of the liquor store. All right. Now, all of a sudden, what? <laughs> What's the pastor doing in the liquor store? Ah, you know, making a dime. <laughs> okay. Now, is that a stumbling block? There are those who would argue it. I want to tell you what the Bible teaches is a stumbling block. All right, Romans chapter 2. Okay, now, a a quick study of Romans. Beginning in verse 18, 19. Romans 1, 19 to Romans 3, 20. Okay, that's the doctrine of sin. Okay, you want to know how God views sin? That, right there is it. Right, and if you think about it, I call Romans the Gospel of Romans, okay? Because he deals with all of it, 
And if you're looking at salvation, you first and foremost have to deal with sin. So verse 19 through chapter 3, verse 20 deals with it. But it's really cool because he deals with those who have no idea who God is. Never read the Bible. Don't even know the Bible exists. But then he deals with those who do know the Bible. The keepers of the Bible. Now I'm not talking about false religion. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. They know what the Bible says. They have a big monument and temple in Jerusalem that is called the Dome of the Bible. Okay, and that's where you can go see the Dead Sea Scrolls and about every kind of translation of scriptures that you ever dreamed of. Here's what he says in verse 24. Verse 23 sets it up. You who boast in the law. Through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Okay, they would say, no, we're trying our best. Then what he says in verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Oh, that's pretty serious. I'm thinking right there, that there qualifies as a stumbling block. That the name of God is blasphemed by the way you guys act. All right. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Basically, he's doing the same thing that he told the Galatians. All right. Basically, what he told the Galatians is if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep the whole thing. Okay. Understand when I talk of that, it's a deviation of the salvation message. It's a deviation of the sanctification message. Both of them are wrong. You are not sanctified by keeping the law. You are not saved by keeping the law. You are condemned by the law, understanding that you now have to have a Savior. And once you come to the Savior, guess what? Salvation or sanctification comes. All right. God of this world has blinded the minds of those who love sin. We agree with that. Okay. Paul told the Corinthians that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. We agree with that. But Paul also says that you and your hypocrisy caused the lost to blaspheme God. That's bad news. You are the cause of blasphemy. You ever thought about that? Now listen, the people he's talking about here, we're, I'm not talking about some Bible stupid people. The average Jew at the writing of the New Testament was extraordinarily biblically strong. They read their Bible. They worshipped the true God. They knew what it said. They had heard the prophets and the readings of the prophets. Your name, you name his name, and yet you are hypocrites. Paul says, I don't want no part of that. I go back to the text in 2 Corinthians. I want no cause of offense in anything. Okay. And if you're in ministry, guess what? That should be your passion. I don't want to do anything to cause. Listen, I don't want to do anything to cause you to stumble. I'm not going to give you a reason to reject. 
you reject, it's because you love your sin. It's that simple. It's that simple. See, that's the power of God through the proclamation of His truth. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of the Most High God. And an ambassador does nothing that would discredit the ministry of reconciliation. There's a protection that you and I should be striving for in our lives for the integrity of our mission. It's a ministry of reconciliation. We are trying, we are begging to draw people, be reconciled to God. And I'm not going to do anything that you can use as a stumbling block. Listen, they look for excuses. All right. And I don't believe that it's physically possible for you to stand completely excuse free. But don't let it be based on anything biblical. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't ride a motorcycle. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you must be clean shaven. If I'm going to go by the Bible, I'm supposed to wear a dress. That'll get them talking. Hike my dress as I get on my motorcycle. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That those are things that you have to sit there that you just sit. I've had people talk about smoking. Well, smoking is a sin. Where at biblically? I can't see it biblically. Okay? I can't say this. What masters you? That's the easiest part. What's your, what masters you? I don't, I don't have a problem. You want to smoke, smoke. Okay? Don't throw your things outside. We've got fires going on everywhere. But anyway, but you see what I'm saying? I, if you want to smoke, smoke. But I'm going to ask you a simple question. Is it your master? Okay, because if it's your master, then everybody around you says, huh, I think that you've got a bigger master here. Okay? See what I'm trying to get at? Okay, keep it in the context of what does the scripture says? But you know what? Um, that gets frustrating because I'm, you guys know me. I have this little phrase. Have you not read? And I stole that. Some guy said that a long time ago to religious experts. Okay? And what I've learned is, nope, <laughs> they haven't. And I would say, I know way too many pastors who've not read. So if the pastors haven't read, well, what has the congregation done? They're going to act just like the pastor. They're looking for an excuse to reject. You've heard this. I don't go to church. Because the church is full of hypocrites. I always thought that was cute. I've been around long enough to know that the whole globe is full of hypocrites. And some of them go to church. Because... I have, I'll be honest with you, I just, I just cruise around and go, really? <laughs> okay, so the key test is hypocrisy? Well, I think if you're a hypocrite, that proves you're still alive and a human. 
But what they will do is they want to justify their sin. And if I can use the... Now listen, I'm, we've heard the scandals. I can go through them all. Okay, you hear them all. And all of a sudden now we're all in it. We all did that. It's, they do it with Roman Catholic when the priests were all getting busted. Okay, and I remember a guy coming up to me saying, well, aren't you a priest? And I said, no, but I'm not a priest. There's only one high priest. I ain't it. I'm just a lower level galley slave. And he says, well, what's the difference between you and the Catholics? I said, simple. They believe the church is the ultimate authority. I believe the Bible is the ultimate authority. Well, there's got to be more to it. There's no more to it. <laughs> Go look at it. It's, you see, everything that Roman Catholicism is, is based on what the church says is right. And what you'll find is, is that somewhere in there, they've left the Bible. All right? We proclaim the gospel. And when we do that, sometimes we use words. Sometimes it's just our lives. But when we do that, we have to watch out because it will cause conflict. The thing that Paul's trying to get to you and I is that when you are proclaiming the gospel, don't let it be in conflict with your person. Okay, that's not hard. I, I know that none of you have ever wrestled with God. Um, I, I, I have yet to stop. <laughs> that's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worse than most. But, but the truth of the matter is, is I cherish that. Because I know God's working. I want to see God work. I need God to change me. I need His help, and I need His help desperately. And it's not because I'm this great, wonderful man. I spend too much time with Paul, and I understand that that's what Paul's passion was. Paul's passion was, I can't do this. It is not that I have arrived. I press on to the upward calling of Christ. But he also understood his privilege. And because of that privilege, he had that passion because he knew the power of the word. I love that. Let me show you. There's a letter Paul wrote that I call evangelism. Okay, that's, that's just the nutshell that, you know, and there's a lot of people. Well, how can you anyway? I read enough to say, you know what? I read this. This thing here is evangelism. Okay? It's a letter to Titus. Now, most of you will say, well, that's a pastoral epistle. You want to prove it? <laughs> Show me in the Bible where it says it's a pastoral epistle. Okay? Because I see it always listed that way. I see it as evangelism. Okay? <clears throat> Here's why. He's writing Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete. Okay? Chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, speaking of the island of Crete. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's what the Cretans say about the Cretans. Okay, that's where Titus is. All right, here's what he says. This testimony is true. 
For this reason, reprove them severely. So they may be sound in faith. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn from truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Okay, now you know what's amazing about that little text right there? It's coming off of the qualifications of an elder. This is what an elder looks like, Titus. But you're going to have your hands full. Because even the Cretans themselves say they are liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. So it's going to be tough to find godly leadership. All right? Look what he says. Now, I want to show you something there. How do I evangelize liars, evil gluttons? How do I evangelize them people? Easy. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for... Chapter 2, verse 1. Give them hygienic doctrine. That's the original word in the Greek. Clean doctrine, pure doctrine. Give it to who? Older men. Give older men pure doctrine. Then they will be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Cool. Oh, yeah. Give sound doctrine too. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gobsit, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God is not dishonored. All right. Likewise, sound doctrine, the young men to be sensible. And in all things, show yourself. In sound doctrine, that's where it's all starting. Examples of good deeds, purity, and doctrine. Dignified, sound in speech, which is above, beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. He's talking right there, brothers and sisters, of the integrity of the body of Christ, the church. And you do it how? Sound doctrine. Even if you're on an island full of evil, lying, gluttonous people. Give them sound doctrine. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? The day of salvation is... Now, the grace of God has appeared. So you take sound doctrine, you protect it. So you have the negative and the positive. You give no cause for offense. That's the negative. Positive. Look what he says. Go back to your text in 2 Corinthians. But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. Now think about that. Because we're going to deal with that in depth in the next couple of weeks. Commending ourselves as what? Servants of God. Servants of God. Take you back a, a few years. You'll remember this. Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 27. 
I discipline my body. I buffet my body. I box my body to make it my slave. To make it my slave. That's fascinating. Second Corinthians 11. Nah, 2 Corinthians 1, sorry. Verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially to you. Okay? Listen, uh, uh, the accusations are going to come. They're going to be thrown at you. Okay, and the stronger your ministry is, the greater that paradox will come, the greater the joy and the greater the sorrow. Because they're going to come at you. They're going to come at you. But you can stay before God. My conscience is okay. I haven't done anything to throw a stumbling block before these people, before that person, before that group. See, one of the things that I've learned the hard way is, the heart we see. Now we like to think that, well, no, heart is seen. What is your passion? Because I guarantee you, you will not keep your mouth shut about it. And what you find yourself speaking the most of, ask yourself a simple question. Will that cause an unbeliever to stumble? That's tough stuff. That is tough stuff right there, buddy. I remember when I first came to salvation. I was in construction. I knew all the lingo. <laughs> what can I say? All right. But when I came to salvation, anytime I used profanity, it was like sticking my head in a 55-gallon barrel. It was like, I don't think that's a good word. So I had to go learn how to talk all over again. Okay, now listen, I can honestly tell you that, you know, I don't know what profanity is to you, but I do know that out of the mouth speaks the heart. And if you got profanity coming out your mouth, guess what? You probably got a profane heart. And you got a problem. You got a problem because, you know what, if I stand around a bunch of unbelievers and you sound just like them verbally, what's the difference between you and them? And now think about it. It's um, it's it's funny, and I've watched this before. Uh, all of my relatives are Southerners, okay. And, and and for whatever reason, if you've got a Southern drawl, everybody thinks you're stupid, okay. And um, it, it's not true, but I, I watched this one time that if you take a Southerner, one Southerner, you take those and you put them in a whole room full of Northerners, whose accent gets picked up? Craziest thing I've ever seen. And I've seen it over and over. My wife went back for her father's funeral in Virginia and came back and I had to stop and catch up listening to her talk. Paul had these things thrown at him, these accusations thrown at him. And yet with the clarity of heart, he could say, you know what? Paul says, I ain't perfect. It's not that I have arrived. 
but my conscience is okay. Okay, listen, I am not arrived. There's times I'm not even sure that I can figure out where the path is. But I do know that God is working. Okay, because you know what? My sin bothers me. Okay? And you know what the tragedy is? My sin bothers me more than it bothers you. And my sin bothers me more than your sin bothers me. And one of the tragedies I've seen in the body of Christ is I'm more bothered about everybody else's sin than my own. And that's wrong. Be concerned about your own. Because you have a ministry. I have a ministry. Paul says, my conscience is clear. Because he understands the power to protect the ministry. We have a ministry of reconciliation and I don't want to be an excuse for people to walk away from it. I have seen that. I have seen that so many times. If a pastor falls in this country today, why do we get so much press out of it? Because the lost revel in it. It's just proof that your God ain't real. And listen, the enemy want to destroy credibility. That's the battle. That's the battle. The philosopher Voltaire says, I would be kind to believe in your Redeemer if you could show me a redeemed life. Gandhi started his own religion and came up with peace, love, and tranquility because he lived for two years with a Christian family and said that theirs isn't real. They will dog you. They are waiting for you to fall. And listen. They'll find anything. It doesn't matter. You do not have to have a scandal for someone to say, Hey, they fell. They're not real. Listen, the Apostle Paul, to say that he was important to the church is probably the greatest understatement I'll ever make. I mean, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I'm thinking he had some importance in the body of Christ. And yet, he says, I dare you to find a scandal. He understood it. I mean, they make up stuff. They lied about Jesus. Do you, listen, if he had fallen, if there was a scandal in the Apostle Paul's life, how would Christianity look today? Take 13 books out of the New Testament. What does it look like? Do you understand the forces that were against the Apostle Paul? Think about it. Satan understood the church is being built. That man right there is key. Stop it. Stop him. We can stop the church. And yet, you think about the power that was there for the Apostle Paul and what's the difference between the power that was with the Apostle Paul and the power that's with each one of you today? What's the difference? None. People will use excuses. But you know what? I think about it. I've had a lot of people, and I still have, when you've been in the community as long as I have, you have a lot of people who like to keep an eye on you. All right? They're just waiting. I've got people been waiting 20-some years for me to stumble. Okay? I'm glad they're not holding their breath. Okay? But they're still waiting. There's got to be a flaw. All right? 
I can't even think about how they watched Paul. I ain't no big, I ain't nobody. I got nothing going on. And yet, Paul was taking the church to places that had never heard of Jesus Christ. His life was seen, and when you looked at his life, you had no doubt in your mind who his master was. You had no doubt in your mind what ruled the Apostle Paul. So you take it back. He says there in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything. You ever thought about that? In anything. His life was seen. Now listen, it wasn't he was sinless. But when he had sin, when his sin confronted him, he dealt with it. He dealt with it. Sadly, today in the church, too many give fire to the unbelievers. And that fire is what the unbelievers use to justify their rejection. Watch the news. Watch the news. You take a biblical stance on marriage. Ain't that the big phrase now? I have a biblical stance on marriage, and now you are a hate monger. Really? I have a biblical stance. I'm going to get in trouble. On the role of a woman. Yeah. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You watch the news. It's always out there. They want us to fall. And they want us to be in great pillars of light. Look, and then he falls. <laughs> and they use the scandals. And the scandals, the tragedy is, is used to shame Christ. And I, I think, you know, when I look at some of it. Oh, well. But I think the greatest tragedy that I watch is what some churches do to deal with it. That probably bothers, bothers me more. And I've got so many things that I could tell you that I won't. That just breaks my heart because the church ignores it. I know pastors right now who I don't believe are saved and have done some horrific things. And the churches kick them out and they start a church in the next town over and they get these massive followings. And I'm sitting there going, how is that possible? But I can also tell you, as Charles Spurgeon said in his book, Lectures to My Students, should I fall? Hand me over to the harlots and the barkeepers for they will have more mercy on me. But see, Spurgeon understood this ministry of reconciliation has this reflective thing to it. And people are going to look. And you know what? There's going to be more people against you than there will ever be before you. It is not a popularity contest. And once you step into the popularity contest, then the message of sanctification and salvation will be compromised. 
because you want everybody to get along. And you know what? I can't make everybody get along. So I'm going to lay truth out. The Apostle Paul wasn't worried about getting attaboys or building a mega church. The Apostle Paul was worried about the truth of the salvation message and the truth of the sanctification message. And that was his passion because that's what he protected. And he says, I will do nothing to cause an offense to what my ministry is. That's amazing stuff, man. That is amazing stuff. That is the power of truth and the power of truth is what we protect. We keep giving them truth. Listen, the responses is not ours. But there is a great joy and there's a great sorrow that you can never ever even compare when you are ministering. And yet every person who is saved is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In season and out of season. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he was telling me about some awesome stuff that is happening in the Muslim countries of Russia, the underbelly of Russia, um, is, is fanatical Muslim, but the government is kind of promoting Christianity, true Christianity, not the Russian Orthodox. There's some really cool stuff that is happening. And he says, how about there? <laughs> I said, Valeri, I'd give anything to preach for one month in season. <laughs> I said, for as long as I can remember... For my 18 years at this pulpit and my 20-some years uh, as a Christian, 25 years as a Christian, um, I haven't seen end season. I I haven't seen people knocking doors down to hear truth. Um, So, but it was for such a time as this that each of us is here. And we are the ones who are strengthening our brother Valeri, who's in Uzbekistan, preaching in mosque the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's working. So we protect it. And we press on to the upper calling of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the amazing things that uh, you have done and that are, you are doing. And Father, may we... Uh, May we understand the privilege of who it is we labor with. But, Father, may we also stir that passion, that passion that sent your Son to the cross on our behalf so that we may have this ministry of reconciliation. And yet, Father, may we understand the power, the power that is before us because of the privilege and the passion. And that, Father, we may understand with each growing day that we are commending ourselves as servants of God with much, much endurance. To your glory and praise. Amen.